0: me in a brief word of prayer and then we'll get into the word of god heavenly father thank you for the worship this morning lord thank you for that word of exhortation from heather lord i i I know i don't know the exact number i don't have that kind of spiritual insight right now but i know that that word was from the lord and it spoke to not just one but many hearts it hit them hit us right where we needed it to hit us oh god that was a, that was an exhortation for the body and thank you for the exhortation that you gave through Christie as well that also was a word from you and uh your word does not return unto you void father god it will accomplish that which you set it out to accomplish lord and so uh thank you for using uh those women father god to really speak life uh to this body and as we get into the word oh god we just uh, trust that you will continue to speak life to us, and uh, and Lord, we just avail our ears and our hearts to you uh, to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is not the the best. I've been battling a bit of a sore throat, but uh, by the grace of God, I'll get through it. Amen. I'm going to be. Uh, teaching out of uh, Luke chapter 7 today uh, 36 verses 36 to 50 I'm going to talk on the subject of extravagant love today extravagant love starting at the 36th verse and I'll read all the way through says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, And wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? So this Bible story gives a contrast of two people who have lived very different lives. One is a Pharisee named Simon. As a Pharisee, Simon was known to be a man of God and had a good reputation and he, as he dwelled in the upper echelon of society. We don't know the name of the other person The other person is simply described as a woman of the city who was a sinner. Suffice it to say that her lifestyle and reputation landed her at the bottom rung of society. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to join him for dinner. It's unclear why Simon invited Jesus, so I won't speculate on his motive. I could easily engage in speculation here, but I won't do it. I will let the word of God speak for itself. We know that there was a, uh, let's just say an adversarial relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus. But we also know that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, came to Jesus in the still of the night. And he had some questions because he honored and acknowledged that Jesus to be a man of God because no one could do the things that he do, unless he be sent by God. Right? So, there could be bad intention or an honest opportunity to get to know and get the measure of him to see if this guy really is a prophet. But whatever the reason is, he invited him to his house. That's one That's one thing we know for sure. So, I will speak on what we know as the scripture reveals it. I'll give attention instead to his attitude and his actions. At Simon's invitation, Jesus went into his house and sat at table with him. And I want to paint a picture because in America, we do things a whole lot differently than they did in the Middle East back in Bible times. And so, you know, we have a table that's probably about 30 to 36 inches off the the floor and we get in chairs and we sit at the table and so forth. No, back then, the table was much closer to the floor and they didn't sit at the table, they reclined at the table. They laid down and they rested on the left elbow, leaving the right hand free in order to uh, grab the food. And oftentimes in that position, and I'm, hey, I'm not getting down there and showing it to you. (laughs) The feet would be behind you, right? You're kind of leaning toward the table, oftentimes uh, towards whoever's at the head of the table, but your upper body is toward the table. Your feet are pointing away from the table. And so they are at table getting ready to eat dinner or a meal. And in those days, I will say roads were dusty and everyone wore open sandals. So people's feet would get would accumulate a lot of dirt, uh, you know, a lot of filth and everything. And so it was customary for people to take their shoes off before they entered the a home. It was also customary for the host, especially if you invited someone to your home. If you could afford it, you had a servant at the door who was able to wash people's feet as they came into the door. If you couldn't afford it, you at least needed to have the water there that could be poured over their feet so their feet could be cleaned before they go into the home. I'm not going to get into all the details. It just uh, suffice it to say that that was a basic common courtesy. Was to provide a means for someone's feet to be washed who had journeyed to your house. Back then there were no buses to take. There were no cars to drive. A lot of your traffic was done on foot. And whatever was on the path that you took, you accumulated that on your shoes and on your feet. And before we engage in the intimate exercise of breaking bread together, you know, I'm going to greet you with the service of, uh, of gratitude, thanking you for making the journey, thanking you for coming. And I want to minister and bless you. And I want to wash off the dirt accumulated on your feet as you traveled here. It was also customary to, guys, American guys, it's gonna be tough for us to really get our minds around, but it was also customary to kiss the guests on the cheek as they came in, often on both cheeks. Even the men who kissed each other on each cheek as a greeting. And third, it was also customary to anoint the top of one's head with a drop of fragrant oil. So keep in mind, Simon, this Pharisee, invites Jesus into his home to break bread. This isn't a situation where Jesus invited himself like he did with uh, Zacchaeus. He invited him. And whatever his motive for inviting him, he did not even extend to Jesus the basic courtesies that a host extended to guests. Whether they were invited or not, hosts extended these courtesies. And yet this man stood here, And Jesus didn't complain about it. He's just sitting at the table. He's the Lord of glory. And he didn't get these basic common courtesies that any host should give to to a visitor to his home. And in comes this woman. She wasn't invited to the party. The Bible says when she heard that Jesus was at this Pharisee Simon the Pharisee's house to sit at table with him she made a beeline to go there How she got in Uh I don't. I, I I won't say that I have a definitive answer for that, but someone who's more familiar with the culture can correct me if I'm wrong. But when he had this meal, he had these A-list of people that were invited for supper, and by inviting Jesus, he invited a rabbi to the meal. and And it was not uncommon when you invited a rabbi to a, a meal to an event like that that. The door would be left open for others who could just come who could come in. And so she didn't have to sneak in or get in by hook or by crook. She came in through the door. You couldn't sit at the table and eat with them, but you could be present and observe and listen and learn as the as as the rabbi and the men who were at the table discussed matters and, and imparted wisdom. not me this time <laughs> and so she shows up and when she shows up she doesn't announce herself i want before before i get too far i want y'all to go with me and imagine in your mind this woman even in today's culture, but especially in that culture, this woman shows up amongst this group of men. These men who are members of the upper echelon of society. This Pharisee is a man of God, devoted to the religious order. It's a man believed to be approved by God, with the favor of God. He can't even be associated With the sinner. And here comes a sinner walking right into his house, uninvited. And does she pay any mind to the host? No. She doesn't pay any mind to any of the other guys. There is one guy she's there for. And she makes a beeline to Jesus. And she does everything for Jesus that the host didn't do. See, it was customary for the host to wash his feet. The host didn't provide any water for him to wash his own feet. Blatant disregard for the presence of Jesus. See, he doesn't really know him. He's probably there just to get the measure of him. Is he really a prophet? Is he really a man of God? Let's let's invite him to the table. I got a couple of questions. And before any of that can get started, this woman comes in and she's just crying. Remember how they're positioned in a reclining position and feet, and she goes right to those feet. And isn't it amazing what God can provide? He didn't provide a basin. Or vase of water her tears became the water and as she is weeping she's weeping and the tears are flooding out of her eyes there's enough tears to be an adequate substitute for water and she didn't need a towel to dry his feet off she used her hair, and I haven't met a woman yet who would be, <laughs> who wouldn't have to think at least twice before they used your hair for somebody, to draw somebody's feet. I believe, I mean, a mama might have to think twice about wiping her baby's foot off with her hair, let alone some guy's dirty feet. But he didn't extend, the the host didn't extend these courtesies. But she goes in, she washes his feet with her own tears. She dries his feet with her own hair. And she brought her own alabaster box of ointment. And she anointed his feet with those things because she's in. She knows whose presence she's in. Now, this woman has a history. They don't even name her. They just give you what her lifestyle was like. This woman was a woman of the city and she was a sinner. She was a notorious sinner. She was a habitual sinner. She was a person who lived the lifestyle of a sinner. Many speculate that she was a prostitute, and that's a reasonable guess. But whatever it is that she was, she was a sinner, and she knew it. And she knew she didn't deserve to be in the presence of this man called Jesus. Jesus. She knew she didn't deserve the goodness of God, which is why she came in the way that she came in. She had received it nonetheless, and she was grateful for it. She was beside herself. What she's engaging in is extravagant love. What she's engaging in is extravagant praise, extravagant worship. And you know why she's engaging in extravagant worship, extravagant praise, extravagant love toward Jesus? It's because she has received extravagant grace. She has received extravagant mercy. She's received the extravagant love of the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. Now, let's look at the Pharisee's response. Now, this guy isn't saying this out loud. He's got an inner monologue going on. He expected Jesus to treat this woman a certain way, and Jesus didn't. And so his inner monologue, Scripture gives that to us so that we can see what motivates him. When he saw it, he says, if this man in verse 39 were a prophet, if he really was a prophet, if he really was a man of God worth his salt, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Think of how well known her lifestyle is. It doesn't mention her name, but they know her. He knows who she is, and he knows what sort of woman she is. And he knows how he would deal with her. And he considers himself a man of God, and so he expects it. Oh, now, now we got a real test here. Now I get to see if he's the real deal or not. And he has a problem that Jesus has no problem with what she's doing. And Jesus, knowing this, said to him, now, Jesus, I love how Jesus works. He takes the man's inner monologue, flips it into a public conversation, and he has an inner, internal question. Jesus asks him an external question that gets right to the heart of it. Amen. Amen. And so we see his inner monologue. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. If the Lord ever says that to you, you, perk up your ears and Brace yourself. It's a point he's trying to make. I've got something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And he gives him a parable that speaks right to his heart condition. And not only his heart condition, but her heart posture. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed five denarii and the other 50. I want to say denarii is was pretty well established as a day's wages here so in this scenario one guy owes about two months of wages the other guy owes about two years of wages ten times more than the other so you know for the uh, you know the people who like to do the calculating and want to know how much that will be worth in today's just calculate what fifty days of your money of your wages would be, and you can make that more personal if you like, but 50 days of wages, 500 days of wages, two months to two years. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, uh, he could have dropped the I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if I can guarantee you that if somebody owes $5,000 and somebody else owes $50,000, right? The $50,000 debt being canceled is going gonna, is gonna to lead to a lot more praise, a lot more thanks, a lot more love than the $5,000 debt forgiven. But he said, I suppose for whom he canceled a larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. So he sets him up. And here's a question that I really want us to consider. Then turning toward the woman, he's looking at the woman. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Think about that question for a moment. Obviously, he sees her. She's right there. know. but do you see her? See, Simon, when he's looking at her, he's not seeing what she's doing there, the posture that she's there, the attitude that she's there, the the worship that's there. All he's seeing is what he knows of her. See, he's not seeing her in this moment. He's seeing her for what she's been. And Jesus is seeing her in that moment for who she is. Are you hearing me? And so he's saying, do you see this woman? No, he didn't really see her. And we know why. But then he gets to the crux of the matter. I entered your house. Now, this is significant because it's customary that all these things he's about to mention should be done. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, you gave me no kisses on the cheek, but the time I've come in here, she has not ceased to kiss me. My feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, he acknowledges what Simon the Pharisee knows about her. He's trying to help Simon see her. The difference between him and her. This woman is not just the woman you known her to be historically. Something has transformed in her heart. She's she's not who she used to be anymore. She's a different person. She's a new creation. She has heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a new life and a new hope that is welled up in her. And she is so full of gratitude because she knows of all people, she is among the least worthy of it, the least deserving of it, which makes the amazing grace that much more amazing to her. Are you hearing me? And so we're seeing a contrast between someone who doesn't believe they need amazing grace and someone who is the beneficiary of amazing grace and the difference with which they honor the presence of the Lord. So we have a rank sinner. That's what she's been. And he says, her sins, they are many, but they are forgiven. She's the one that had the bigger debt. In the, in the parable, she's the one that had 10 times. She had the unpayable debt. And she is, what you're seeing her do right now is the result of someone who has come to the realization that the ledger has been wiped clean. All the filth and stains of uh, of a life lived with poor judgment, immoral illegal, doing all those things that have earned her the reputation that she has gained uh that the Pharisee is holding against her, she knows that the Lord does not hold it against her, and that kind of love is uncommon that realizing that God loves her to that degree to that degree has caused her compelled her to go where Jesus was once she learned he was somewhere reachable to her she could not help but go you know who that reminds me of Zacchaeus right he was a no-good tax collector no disrespect to any IRS people out here (laughs) we'll just say There are good ones and there are bad ones. He was one of the bad ones because he always took some off the top for himself. And he enriched himself by doing that. And he earned a reputation. People hated him. He was one of the crooked ones. And yet the gospel message grabbed a hold of his heart. See, he hadn't had a chance to prove it through his life yet, but his heart had changed. And he was wondering, could it be for me With this Jesus, I, I recognize him to be the son of God. Would he even accept me? And Jesus in front of an entire crowd invited himself to his house to enjoy a meal with him. Accepting him, affirming him, approving him, receiving him in full view of the very crowd that judged him because many of them had suffered because of his evil ways. And you knew a transformation had occurred because even though Jesus blessed him in that way, saying, I'm going to come and enjoy a meal in your house, he still repented. And he still said, if I have wronged anybody, I'll repay him four times what I took. That's That's a changed heart. That's a different man. See, what the public knows about him still is the history that they know about him. But how many of you know Jesus can change a life in a moment? the, the, The word of God can quicken us and change our hearts in an instant. And we have a woman here who came into the knowledge of the extravagant love of God for her. And so I, I want us to consider what she's doing with Jesus. Everything that she did is her extravagant love back out of appreciation for his extravagant grace and love toward her. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are Are forgiven. It's 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 interesting if y'all will allow me. Forty seven and forty eight intrigue me here because forty seven already said, "Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven." Then in the next verse, he looks at her and tells her, "Your sins are forgiven." He already said, "Her sins are forgiven." But then it made I was I was intrigued by it. Like how do I how do I deal with this Lord? Then I and then. I was reminded of my own faith conversion and how hard it was for me to really, for it to be a settled issue, God's love and grace for me that I really was forgiven. And some of you remember me saying it before, every other week I was going back up to the altar on Sunday during the altar call getting re-saved. I was concerned it didn't take because there were, still, there were still unchanged things in my life. Was this real? Did I really mean it? I really do mean it, Lord. I'm going to do it again, right? Hopefully it takes this time because in my mind, I still need to be renewed. It's one thing for there to be a general message of forgiveness. It's another for someone to look at you and say, you are forgiven for the lord to to really speak to your heart and say, "I have forgiven you, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are among the beloved." He tells the Pharisee, her sins are forgiven, he tells her, sweetheart, your sin you are forgiven. your sins are forgiven I think I think he said it because she needed to hear it. Remember, she didn't go there for them. Whatever message Jesus has to those guys, that don't mean much to her. She, she went there for Jesus, and she needed something directly from Jesus. And so Jesus has a two-part deal he's pulling off here. He's trying to impart some knowledge and wisdom to Simon and the other, guys, the other A-listers at the table. But he's also going to address the one who's there in faith. And to reassure her, I believe, he looked at her and said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now, she took that a whole different way than everybody else at the table. Everybody else at the table were marveling at the audacity Who is this that he can forgive sins? And he was unperturbed and undeterred. He just said to her, right after he said, your sins are forgiven, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, she can now go in peace. You're good with God. You've got a filthy past. Everybody knows about it. But I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember them no more. Your your sins, your slate has been wiped clean. You are forgiven. Now, you can go in peace. The burden you carried in here, that that battle is over. That struggle for acceptance, that struggle for belonging, that, 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 that struggle for affirmation, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that thinking that you could never be forgiven, all of that, trying to, fighting that losing battle in society that will never accept your history or your past. Your battle's over. The God, the the one, the only true and living God, the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, your creator tells you right now, you are forgiven. You are accepted by me. And if you're accepted by me, then there's nothing the world can throw at you that should get you down. Amen? Amen? Your faith has saved you. And so I got to thinking about this contrast here. I know This is a Pharisee and he's not a believer in the Lord, but this story is in here for our reading and for our consumption and for our consideration for a reason. And I got to thinking, what a contrast. All these men sitting at this table, they've got Jesus, the Lord and Savior of the world in their midst, in their presence. And it's not a big deal. He's one of the guys. He's another one of the A-listers. They do acknowledge him to some degree, but they don't have any clue who he really is. And you get a woman off the street. that comes in and apart from Jesus she's the only person in the house that knows who he really is <laughs> imagine that but i got to thinking about my own walk with the lord and 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 i got to thinking about in general all of our walks with the lord and how how at times Before I say this, I'll say that I'll say this. This woman is like I was as a new, fresh believer. Once it really rung true in my heart that I've been forgiven and redeemed. And the excitement and the joy. And I I could not contain it. I could not keep it to myself. I had to tell people about about this love. I had to tell people about this joy. I had to tell people about this salvation. You know, as a young man who struggled in my whole life, the things that I wanted most was belonging and acceptance. Everything I did, I didn't know it as I was doing it, but over time, I realized that that's what I was chasing after. I thought I got, I got it through, uh, through academic excellence at one point. I got it through athletic excellence at one point. As long Those things fed me because people accepted me. I was a part of a group that I belonged to, that uh, people respected me and wanted me to be a part of. They missed me when I wasn't there, right? <laughs> and so, but those were all dead ends. Those led me down dead end roads. Jesus got a hold of my life, interrupted my life, made himself real to me, and made me know that he The acceptance and belonging, the love, the grace, the mercy, the life that he could give me was the only thing that could fill the voids that my soul was yearning. The yearning void of my soul. And he transformed my life. You know, he transformed me which led to a transformed life, right? And so I remember, as I'm going through this story, I'm remembering that. And then I kind of noticed, you know, there are times I'm still on fire, man. I'm rocking and rolling with the Lord, man. I'm ready to go. So You, you want to go tell the gospel? Let's go. Let's do this thing. But there are times when I'm sitting there, and somewhat taking for granted the presence of the Lord in my life. I wouldn't consider myself a Pharisee. But it isn't about a Pharisee. It's about that that woman represents the picture in my mind of that first love that the Bible tells us. We need to go back to our first love, that moment when that revelation first hit, that we are loved by God, and that Jesus went to the cross for you, and that he did it for me. He wants me. He paid my sin debt on the cross, right? And and, and, and realizing what I was before him, that's what she's doing. It's still fresh. This woman's just fresh off of that life of sin. And this is the newness of her salvation, the newness of her acceptance by the Lord. It's just got her overwhelmed, overwhelmed with gratitude, hope, love, praise for the one who made it possible. And so I want to use that as a challenge to to all of us this morning. The, at, at, at the risk of offending I'm just going to say what is on, on my heart, you know. Wherever two of them gather, are gathered in the midst, Jesus' presence is here. I told you I couldn't tell you Why the Pharisee invited him. I don't they don't we don't know who the other guests were. But why they were there matters. Because we know why she was there. Here we are in the house of the Lord. The Lord is present. Why are you here? Like I said, at the risk of offending, it's not meant as an offense. This is a question relevant to the message. Why are you here? For the worship, the worship is great. Love it. We're blessed. For the word of exhortation, Great word of exhortation today. Love it. For the going forth of the word, hey, that's not bad either. But that woman wasn't just there to hear a good word. She wasn't just there to, to, to sing a good song. She was there to extravagantly worship the one who had extravagantly loved her and accepted her. Do you remember when you came to the Lord? Do you remember how it made you feel? Do you remember the passion, the excitement, the uncontainable joy do you remember it i hope you do because the lord wants us to tap back into it and remember what he's done for us and let that promote provoke us to extravagantly express Our worship of him, our gratitude for what he's done, extravagantly express our love back to him as best we can, although we cannot possibly repay him enough, first John four verses nine and ten say this it. us. So loved. And I tell you, we're talking about extravagant love. There's no way we can recount the events of the cross and not see that as extravagant love that God extended toward us. In that same chapter of 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, I've already alluded to it earlier. We love Because he first loved us. That sums up this woman. She is extravagantly loving because she was first loved by him. And I will finish by saying, uh, may not be the best of uh, applications here, but Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Heather mentioned earlier, and even Brittany alluded to it during one of the worship songs, you know, but Heather mentioned disappointment. and i'm sure there's uh, i'm sure there's plenty of disappointment represented here today that woman whose name we don't know lived a life of disappointment and i'm not going to absolve her for her choices but i don't know enough about her life to to go there, but I, I will say there's no doubt she lived a life of disappointment. The way that Pharisees attitude in that room is an attitude she dealt with on a daily basis. People didn't wanna to get touched by her, let alone help her, because to help her, you feel like you are being ungodly by helping the ungodly person, right? And so, and so what she knew But the Lord came knocking on the door of her heart. She found out that the house of her life, as as run down, as tattered, as broken, as in disrepair as it was, the Lord came up to that ratty old house of her life, knocked on the door and said, I want to dine with you. I want to come into your house, and I want to fellowship with you. That's how much you mean to me. Amen? Amen? And so that same Lord will knock at our door. Let's not make the mistake that the Pharisee made where we get into comparisonitis. We get infected with some comparisonitis. and we look at ourselves as better than another person and and, and that makes us feel like we're in a good place. If you're experiencing disappointment, you need to hear this, it's time to reignite the passion. It's time to re-remember all over again the moment, the day of your salvation. It's time to re-emphasize and, and reprioritize what God has done, what you were before him and what you are now because of him. That's what God is calling us to because it's time for us to give him our own extravagant praise. Amen? And so so you know what? I'm just going to stop it right here and I'm going to give everybody a moment. And, and she came to a place she wasn't invited, but I'm going to invite y'all up here just as a moment between you and the Lord. And And give you the opportunity to to declare to God that, you know what, God, I have not been giving you extravagant praise, but that's going to change. Right now, uh, I'm going back to my first love. Right? Where before the problem started, before the persecution started, before the hardships, before all these things that began to compete for Part of the ground in my heart. You had everything at the very beginning. It was just you and me, and I could conquer the world because of your great love. Where did it go? Do you want that again? I've got one yes. Don't tell me. But the, uh, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Hallelujah! I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And and if the Lord moves on you too, if you feel the tug of your heart, then I'm going to ask you to come. Come at His feet. And you can come with your tears. Like she did. I will ask you this one thing. The Bible says that a woman's hair is is her glory, right? You know, her hair, probably the most, given the way she had lived her life and what her reputation had become, there probably wasn't anything more important to her in that moment than her hair. You know what? She yielded that to God. She chose, if she was forced to do it, it would be a humiliating act to do. But she chose to dry his feet off with her hair. Whatever your gifting is, whatever your glory is, whatever it is that that you're disappointed about, not having or not being further along or not being better off or your expectations not, not quite being met. Let that be the glory of yours that you bring to the Lord and that you just give to him and say, God, I'm just, I'm just putting it at your feet. I have allowed the issues of life to take my attention, more of my attention than they deserve. I've allowed them to take attention away from you. I still praise you, Lord, but it hasn't been extravagant. I still love you, Lord. I want to grow in that love. I want to grow in the worship of you. I want to grow. I want to be able to give you all those things extravagantly. Because, Lord, I was once dead in my sins, and now I am alive in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, minister to your sons and daughters as they yield themselves to you in the secret places of their hearts. Meet them where they're at, oh God, as I know you will. For it is your will to do so. God. Again, Lord, we can't thank you enough. Just as in that parable, one man owed fifty denarii, the other owed five hundred. Both were debts. No matter the fact that one was much bigger than the other, both were debts. They were unable to pay. And the lender canceled the debt. And so, Father God, it it doesn't, regardless of how many sins, how much sin our lives are packed with, whether we've whether we've gone out and and just been a blatant sinner in life, or whether we grew up in the church and you know, and our sin ledger appears to be much smaller, it still doesn't matter. Both of us come to you the same way, owing you a debt that we cannot pay. And we came to you, and you canceled our debt. By grace, through faith, you canceled our debt. And we came to know what that precious woman came to know in our story today, that we are forgiven. Hallelujah. And because we are forgiven, we have peace, peace with God, Hallelujah. We're no longer your enemies. We're your sons and daughters. Thank you, Father. And the Holy Spirit, move on us and convict us to keep that flame of our passion toward God. Keep it burning white hot, oh God. (laughs) That's not something that you should do for us. It's something that we should be actively pursuing to do, actively going after, Father, that we are actively pursuing you, actively worshiping you, actively making sure to maintain our first love. And I thank you that you'll be faithful to help us in this, Lord, as we have, by our presence up here, Father God, we are we are declaring before the eyes of others that that is what we want. That is what we're going after. And, and Lord, we appreciate the accountability, and we appreciate the fact that you will be doing the work in us. You're faithful to us, and you will complete that work. Father, be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: It is well with my soul.